welcome to Hashtag No Limits. I am your host, Shelly Kino. Hashtag No Limits is about people that society has placed limits upon, but who have busted through those limits. Ophelia says in Hamlet that we know who we are, but not what we will be. And I believe there is no better example of that than the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. And I 100% believe that we know who we are today, but we could be somebody, a completely different version of ourselves in the next breath, because we just don't know what's going to happen, positive or negative. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that caterpillar, I mean, it literally dissolves itself, reforms into the butterfly, then has to struggle to get out of the cocoon in order to be strong enough to fly. Then even when it gets out, it's not exactly ready. It has to let its wings dry and there's this whole process. And so it's not an easy process, but neither is busting through the limits that society places upon you. And so today, even though she's a Cubs fan mm-hmm. and I'm a Cardinals fan, <laughs> I'm still very excited for you to hear Marsha's story for herself, for her children, and for her clients. And she's going to talk to us about so many different ways that she herself, her children, and her clients have busted through limits that have been placed upon them. So welcome, Marsha. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Um, this is really great to share with everybody, um, you know, how our family has busted through many limits this year and, and in years past. Yeah. Um, so I'll go ahead and get started with my story. Um, I have two beautiful daughters, age um, six, no, sorry, age eight. I wish it was six. They keep growing so fast. <laughs> I know. Age eight and 12. Um, both of my children are now diagnosed with ADHD. Um, very different diagnoses. Um, one is hi- predominantly hyperactive impulsive, and the other one is predominantly inattentive. And it took us a very long time and lots of different processes to get there. Um, sure. And so about, I would say by the time um, my eight-year-old was three, we had noticed that um, there was significant difficulties with her behavior um, that just at that point seemed a little bit more um, defined than her peers. And as an elementary education teacher, I was really in tune (laughs) with what this might look like, what it might be. Um, I had lots of different ideas, wasn't exactly sure which one it was Mm -hmm. um, or how how to even get started. And so we started this process by just going to see, uh, you know, I asked the pediatrician and the pediatrician said, oh, well, it's developmentally appropriate at this age for child children to tantrum. And I said, yes, I know. But um, the duration and frequency that these are happening just seems out of the ordinary um, for age-based peers. And so she sent us to a um, psychologist that was a pediatric psychologist, um, but she had really specialized in cognitive behavioral therapy. And um, after the first couple of sessions, you could see that Emily just wasn't there yet. You know, as a three-year-old to have that type of therapy, it's really difficult for any three-year-old. And so, you know, she spent the hour kind of circling around (laughs) (laughs) psychologist room and she wouldn't sit still for her and she wasn't interested in in listening 
and um, just was very motor active. And so she said to me, she goes, I'm not exactly sure if this is the correct therapy for her. I think she would be better served by a, um, a, oh my gosh, sorry, an occupational therapist. I think she has some sensory difficulties. <laughs> and I said, I'd have to agree with that. We were having a difficult time with potty training, not because she wasn't motivated. She was very motivated. That wasn't the issue. It was just, um, she also had a lot of sensitivities to sensory issues um, and things. And one of those things happened to have been an auditory um sensitivity. And she really hated the sound of many loud things, including um, flushers on toilets, automatic flushers that, you know, by the time she was three, five years ago, um, they were all over the place by that point. Um, And they echoed in the bathroom. And then um, when she heard like, the sound of the ice cream truck, most kids got so excited and they wanted to be there and they were ready to order their ice cream. And my daughter was running the other direction, (laughs) avoiding the sounds of the ice cream truck and terrified, um, but really wanted the ice cream, but she was having a meltdown because she couldn't get there. Right. um, I know it was very sad and disheartening. Um, But I had shared with you um, previously that I really believe that a child's disability does not define who they are, that their inabilities um, should never be a reason that they can't do something. And so I was determined to get her (laughs) to be able to find a way to feel comfortable in doing this. So we tried, music therapy to desensitize her and we have um sound you know noise canceling headphones that she wears um and over the years it has taken us a long time to get there um and every summer it still starts off the same way she gets so excited she hears the sound before i do in her bedroom and she runs to me and she's like mommy i want ice cream and then (laughs) you know, all of her friends are like, we live in a smaller town. And so um, where there's a school in our neighborhood. So like, you could see like the kids on our street all coming out for the ice cream truck. (laughs) And here is my child at eight years old, who's still running the other way. Um, But she's gotten there. And you know, where before she we couldn't even get her outside, she was shaking. Um, now she's able to get out there with her headphones. We asked the ice cream truck to please turn their music all the way down and she's able to order for herself. And so she busted through that limit. And so that's just one way, um, that if you teach a child to have the appropriate skills and sometimes even accommodations, because we knew when she was younger, she wasn't going to get there on her own. She didn't have that skill yet. Um, but you really have to have the mindset that these children can grow. It doesn't matter what their disability is. They're still able to get there. Absolutely. Might look different, but they're Absolutely. Still able to get there. And I think I just, from my background, had that mindset because as I was growing up, I had a disability as well. I was dyslexic. I had an auditory processing delay. Mm-hmm. delay. And even though it got diagnosed in fourth grade, I really, you know, my parents didn't know how to get those services. 
And um, they didn't even know those services were available to them, I don't think. And so I didn't wind up getting services until I was in college. Wow. And I realized that, oh my gosh, I can't do any type of simultaneous processing to listen to a lecture, write down the notes, and then be able to retain that information to take a test. And that is, I'm going to stop you right there because mm -hmm. that is huge. What you just said, because so many people, they don't think about how many steps are truly involved, especially at the college level, but, but really at any level of learning. Right. It's, it is, it's hearing it, it's processing it, it's doing something with that piece of information. Maybe it's writing it down, like you said, if you're in the probably middle school and on up, um, and then being able to retain it and mm -hmm. possibly then spit it back out in some way immediately or form a question of, I don't understand this. You, Many people don't even know that they don't know <laughs> to right. know to ask a question. Right. And yeah. it doesn't come until later when they're looking over their notes or they're re-listening to the lecture, however, whatever, you know, accommodation they've defined for themselves that they realize, oh, I wish I would have asked this question. Now I don't have access to the teacher or the professor or the lecturer, or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so that, that is so key is to realize how many steps mm -hmm. are really involved. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to comment also about your daughter with the ice cream truck, um, accommodations are provided to give access. And you figured that out beautifully with the headphones and reaching out to the driver or the company of the ice cream truck and saying, could you please do this? And all you, you didn't do anything. I mean, you did something different, but you, all, all you did in that whole thing was to provide access. Mm -hmm. You didn't ask him to stop coming because then nobody would have had access. Right. So asking the driver to turn the music all the way down, waiting, and I'm, I'm presuming you waited until most of the other kids were gone, or at least, you know, that he had had an opportunity to get their attention. Right. And then he turned it down. So again, it's just giving that ax. And that's, I've never heard of that example. And that's just so awesome because mm -hmm. giving her those independent skills of still being able to go and be like the other kids and run out with the excitement and be able to order whatever she wanted off the ice cream truck, like all the other kids in her neighborhood. Right. And so I think a lot of that then, um, translates to what happened when she got into, you know, we're talking about preparing children, right, for the future, for, um, especially when it comes to idea, we're talking about preparing children for future education, employment, and independent living. Mm -hmm. And this is a skill that she needs. She, right. she's going to have to be able to figure out how to navigate society and go out and do these types of things. Right. And for me, the most important thing was to give her some sort of accommodation or skill set, or we call it a, you know, a toolbox, whether it's mm -hmm. actually a box or um, just a set of things that she can right. use in these types of situations. 
And so um, I did something that most people wouldn't have necessarily done. Um, and I actually stopped teaching. I stopped my career when she was three. I put it on pause because I knew that there was no way that I could be 100%. And I am like one of those people who give 110% Mm-hmm. to whatever it is that I'm doing. And right. so I couldn't give 110% to the kids in my classroom and 110% to my kids at home. I just right. couldn't do it at the same time, especially right. with the needs that she had. And so um, we were fortunate that my husband was able to provide for us um, in that we found a way to make it work. It wasn't comfortable at first, but we found right. a way to make it work because it was in the best interest of our children. And um, because of that, she at least went into kindergarten. I thought, oh my gosh, if I could just get her ready for kindergarten. And it wasn't reading and it wasn't writing and it wasn't math. Mm -hmm. It was these executive functioning skills that she needed um, and these sensory skills and accommodations so that she understood what she needed to do when she got into this larger environment. And she was still in preschool. It's not like I completely pulled her out of school during that time. She still was integrated into preschool. And um, of course, the preschool, which was good practice, they only had automatic flushers as well. Yeah. And and so does her school. There is not one toilet on an automatic flusher at her school. Wow. Um, and in all the schools that she's in, they're all like that. They're, they're newer buildings and they just decided that, you know, for sanitary purposes, right. No, let's be realistic. Um, for sanitary purposes, it's easier to just have it flush for you. Right. And, um, so I thought, well, if I could just give her this skill set, if she, if she at least had some sort of working bank. Um, then when we get into the school system, she'd be able to, you know, we'd be able to work it out with them, um, and figure out how we could best provide for her to access everything. Um, and I would say overall, um, that process has been a little challenging. Um, our school district, it's not that they, um, and I think it's really, we have to be careful. It's not that they don't want what's best for the children. It's just that they can't always see it the way that other people do. Yeah, that's a great, great analogy because it does. And that's why you have a team. You know, when you're talking about a child with an IEP, an individualized education program for anybody who may not know what that is, and you mentioned IDEAS, so that's the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. That's that federal law. Um, So for to have this whole team of people, because you know, even though you're a Cubs fan and I'm a Cardinals fan, we're, we're going to see the baseball game differently, mm-hmm. but there could be things about the baseball game that we could both improve upon because of your perspective versus my perspective or the other way around. And it's, you know, when you have more eyes and ears looking and thinking about something, you can come up with different approaches. Um, I mean, almost every time I do hashtag no limits or even my Friday with Fran or when I was interviewing people for my book, there were so many things that I thought, Oh, I didn't think of it like that before. Mm -hmm. Now I can maybe use that information for another student that I work with. 
or, you know, help out another family because, oh, that was a great accommodation or that was a great way to approach it or, you know, whatever. And um, so, yeah, when you can have a team of people Mm -hmm. and, and everyone is open to hearing the ideas that are being shared, not that somebody's ideas are bad, but maybe someone else's just seems more appropriate for the student. Right. Right. And I think that sometimes when you're talking about busting through limits, um, as a, as a parent, I had to, to, um, push in a way that was appropriate because they didn't always see things the way I did. And, um, I would say that I'm an out of the box thinker (laughs) and I want to know, like, What's a way that we can get this accomplished? I hear what you're saying. I hear how this is difficult and I appreciate that. But what can we do about that? How can we make this easier um, on the staff? And how can, as a parent and as a fellow educator, how can I help you? You know, is there something that I can take on to take that off of your plate? Can I make the communication plan? Can I make this chart for you? That's awesome. Um, And so, you know, that ability, you know, not everybody has that. And and that's why we're here, right? (laughs) IEP consultants, master IEP coaches, which I'm also part of that as well. Yep. that's why we're here. We're here to help people because we, we have that background and we, um, in order for anything to change, we have to raise voices and it doesn't mean that we need to shout from the rafters. Sometimes we do. Um, but we have to raise awareness and understanding and respect. And that's really what it is. I think that respect is, is something that Um, a lot of school districts don't put a lot of emphasis on when it comes to the parents' perspective. They don't think that it's as important because parents are not school with the kids all day. They don't understand how they function as learners. And that's not always the case. You're right. Kids are learning all day long. They just don't learn academic things. They're learning at home. They're cutting early. You know, if you have scissors in your house, you're teaching your kids how to cut at, you know, at an early age, if you give them access to that. And so we are, they're learning all day long. They're like mm-hmm. little sponges. They are exactly. all kids. Yep, and even exactly. adults, you know, we all learn from each other if we are provided the experience to access it, Yep. you know, and, and the tools to access it. And so, um, and for Emily, things are complex. She not only has ADHD, which we just got diagnosed um, this December during the pandemic. um, That's an amazing accomplishment. It is. And I was planning on, I really was, when March hit, I was right on the cusp of starting that process. Yeah. And then... I was like, oh, well, it's going to be really hard during the pandemic. It'll just be a little bit. We'll just wait a little bit longer. Yeah. And then I, because the way that our district work, we worked, we didn't do any type of, um, they did remote learning last year, but it wasn't live. It was all asynchronous. And so the parents, she was a first grader. And so I had to spend time every day teaching her 
um, they'd give us the lessons essentially, and the parents had to sit down with them and complete and turn in through a platform all of their work. And so, as as we were doing this, I, you know, here's my child, you know, using. <laughs> we gave her a therapy ball on top of a um, frisbee, okay. and so that she couldn't, you know, roll around. Right. <laughs> Right. And here she is. She figured it out real fast how to get off that frisbee. And <laughs> she moved the frisbee to the side and she was literally rolling underneath the desk the whole entire time. Or she wasn't sitting still or, you know, she was always moving. But right. she was still learning. Nonetheless, right. she was just always active. And so then I started to think, wow what's going on at school when she's learning right and having that conversation with her teacher and her teacher says to me she said oh because emily um fortunately because my husband and i are both educators he's on the admin end and i'm a teacher um and i have a background in psychology as well um we we knew what to ask for before she got there mm -hmm. um and she was tested for early childhood twice. First time didn't pass, or first time passed, I should say, and then second time got accepted. But she got accepted as an at-risk child. And so she didn't, she was on the waiting list and didn't get in. Oh. Yes. Okay. And so, because she didn't have an IEP or 504 or services that she needed. And so, um, I was like, okay, so that, but that wasn't our fault. We right. did what we needed to do to make sure that she was prepared. The district just didn't have a spot for her at that time, which we under, we understood. She was doing, a, she was doing well where she was. So other than, you know, her needing some sensory stuff and, and some toileting help, um, she really didn't need to be there. Right. Um, and it was, it was a, what they called a mixed classroom. Um, and so, so, but, you know, we showed up at the meeting before a transition meeting before and a medical care plan meeting before the school year started. And she, or they, they, they took that meeting. We had no idea. We didn't even know we were coming into a 504 meeting. Oh, yes. They didn't tell us ahead of time. And they just gave us the, the paperwork and they said, okay, can you sign this that we didn't give you 10 days notice? And, um, and I mean, we had all of our stuff. And then the principal even said, wow, you could run this meeting. You know exactly what you <laughs> need. We, we appreciate that. Um, and so they just took that as a meeting. And so, wow. yeah. And so she had her 504 by the time she came in. And so when I asked her first grade teacher last year in March, does she exhibit these same symptoms at school? And is she an active child? Her response was, well, no, not really. She has her wobble stool and her TheraBand on her chair. And I said, well, is she using that for activity purposes? Because she can't calm her body? Yeah. And then she said, and she has her calm space in the classroom and her sensory space outside the classroom. Is she okay. using those? Yes. And I said, so approximately how many breaks is she asking for during the day? 
with her bath and she also had a bathrooming schedule and um so it turned out it was nine to 11 times during the day that she was outside the classroom and i thought and you're telling me she she's not active or has some issues that we need to look into oh you know, she just yeah. didn't see it because she already had everything she needed. Right. Exactly. Because of the 504 accommodations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's so interesting because we sometimes unintentionally that happens, you know, mm -hmm. where it's just the normal and we don't think about, oh, well, if all of these things weren't in place, what would this child be like? Mm -hmm. And and that's what we want accommodations to do. We want that access. We want it to be the normal. But I'm going to let you continue with the story because there's a reason it's important to separate those things. Yeah. So um, so anyhow, I decided that the pandemic was going on too long. <laughs> <laughs> and this is something that we really needed to get accomplished. Um, because we were just having such a difficult time, uh, you know, pulling out, like, is the toilet training because she has some sensory issues? Is the toilet training because it's a medical issue? Is the toilet training because, you know, because at seven, your child should be toilet trained for the most part um, and should be able to stay dry. And so... Um, she just wasn't at that point. I mean, we were still using pull-ups, um, when she wasn't in school, uh, and she had several changes of clothes that she kept in a backpack with her, you know, we had everything figured out, but she still had all these lagging skills and right. because she presented as a very rigid, rigid and inflexible child, and she had all these sensory sensitivities, we didn't know what we were heading into. Right. And, right. and we couldn't figure out like, you know, we're not diet, you know, we don't diagnose as parents. Right. Exactly. Background. And so we could assume like, oh, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, but we didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so we put her in for a neuropsych evaluation. Um, we're very fortunate. We're one of the few people who have insurance that cover it at a hundred percent. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You are very blessed. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. We were very blessed. And so we put her in for the neuropsych and they, they do it a really interesting way where we were, we kind of wanted it to be broken up over sessions mm -hmm. and they refused to do that. They wanted to see what she was capable of uh, sustaining. And okay. so she had six hours <laughs> of testing with breaks. She right. had a mask break and she had a lunch break and she had, was able to use the bath. She had bathroom breaks in there. Mm -hmm. so there were several breaks, um, but they wanted to be able to see what she was capable of doing over an extended period of time. Um, because for Emily, it's really when things build up that mm. the outbursts occur mm -hmm. and so um they wouldn't have been able to see that if we right. didn't have her there for an extended period of time yeah. now in, in true emily fashion she 
decided that she was going to, because she also has generalized anxiety disorder. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. She's compli- She's a complicated kiddo. Um, yeah. We call her our spirited one because it's the best way to describe her. She has a lot of spirit and she's a funny, funny, empathetic kid. Um, but she, she keeps us on our toes. And yeah. so, um, so anyhow, she just wanted to get over with. I mean, she wanted to go on to the next task. Right. So it didn't matter. And she's right. And so all of her testing came out great, but she couldn't sustain the mental focus. Right. And so that's really where it came out. And it's interesting to me, just as, as you know, I have a bachelor's in psychology too. And it was interesting to me to see how they were able to flush that out mm-hmm. in that environment without yeah. making her um, break down. Yeah, that is very and, cool. Yeah. And so some of the testing that they did just brought that out naturally. And so that was really neat for me to see. Um, so story goes on. Um, <laughs> when we get back from the neuro, neuropsych testing, or I go to the results meeting with the, the clinician, um, he tells me that she didn't qualify for an autism diagnosis, which I thought I completely understood why that was. Um, she has really um, one-to-one. She doesn't have any social issues. She has great eye contact. Her vocabulary is very high. She's on topic. Um, she just has these sensory and, um, rid- you know, she's very rigid and inflexible. And those are also characteristics of ADHD. Right. And that's so incredibly important because oftentimes I have a feeling and I don't, I've not obviously done any research about this because it just came up in our conversation, but I have a feeling that it's often misdiagnosed because they have such similar characteristics Mm -hmm. and that maybe people can't afford, or maybe it's not as important to them to know, you know, like you said, to just pull that out and separate it out into it's not autism, it's ADHD with this general anxiety disorder. This general anxiety disorder isn't a a symptom of autism. It's a separate thing in conjunction with the ADHD. It's a comorbidity. Comorbidity. That was the word I was trying to come Mm -hmm. up with. And yeah, thank you. Um, And yeah, so being able to, to have the, the people to do that assessment mm-hmm. and to have that done, um, I have a feeling that probably doesn't happen everywhere. And so I, I, I would be curious to know, you know, if that does happen and then what the, if it was really all meted out in. Yeah. Whoops. So um, are we okay? Yeah. Sorry. I just almost pulled my, my earphones out. Okay. <laughs> um, so um when I went back to, to talk to the, you know, when I went to the results meeting about the psycho with the psychologist, um, at first he wasn't going to give me the raw data ahead of time. And I asked for it because I wanted to see, he's like, well, the data doesn't always tell everything, the whole story. And I said, you're absolutely right. But I at least need to know where we're heading. Right. And (laughs) for you specifically with a degree in psychology, you probably had some 
background and could understand a lot of that information right. where your your typical person Might not be. with that background would right. necessarily understand all of that yeah and so um so i was like okay great this is good and so i said to him i said um because he he knew my background and so he said um you know, are there any other accommodations that you want? Anything else that you want me? Because he didn't write the report ahead of time. He wanted parent input for the report. That's awesome. Which is phenomenal that he was willing to collaborate. Right. Um, not everybody's, you know, we were fortunate that right. we left out that that's his philosophy. Yeah. Um, and so I said to him, I said, yes, can you please put in there that um, she needs an IEP for executive functioning skills? And I said, because right now she has all these accommodations which make school successful for her, but she's not learning any skills right. to, to um, decrease the number of accommodations that she has. Because by this point, she has over 45 accommodations Wow! between her generalized anxiety disorder, which was diagnosed at age three. That's how we got her the 504. She had you know, um, she had a qualifying condition. And so, and then she had a medical diagnosis of um, generalized, uh, a slow generalized delay in her large colon and uh, unspecified urinary incontinence. And she had all these diagnoses. And so she had, I'm not kidding you, 45 accommodations. And I was like, okay, we really need to step back and we need to see, you know, what can the school district provide for her um, through an I in individualized education plan that a 504 is not already doing. Right. And um, the 504 wasn't providing the skill set. Um, she wasn't making progress. The number of accommodations were increasing instead of decreasing. And um, and the social worker began by just supporting her a small amount and then wound up supporting her a large amount by the end of this year. And um, Emily was back in school four days a week by February, and she was back in school five days a week by um, April. And so there was enough time by the time that we met and for right. her, her IEP evaluation results um, to see if she qualified for um, um, special education services. We knew she qualified for the related services. Right. Um, but in order to get those related services, she had to also qualify for special education services. And, and um, we really had to collect a lot of data on our mm-hmm. end as parents um, because they, you know, because of the pandemic, they weren't able to collect all the data that they needed, not because they didn't, not because the kids weren't there, but because the staff were being utilized for other purposes. Gotcha. Like, um, you know, they couldn't collect enough data on her bathrooming and the times and how long she was outside of the classroom for and what those looked like. They couldn't collect all that data consistently because the staff, our, our school did not have a nurse there. Mm-hmm. 
they have a health clerk and the health clerk is also secretary. And so if they had to move a classroom because a child got sent home with symptoms, that took all of right. those people away from <laughs> being able to collect that data. Right. Um, and so it was just the situation that we were in. Right. And so I said, you know, and, and once we started doing this and she also had a check in, check out um, yes. system created for emotional regulation, uh -huh. um, I was able to track how many accidents she had by what she was coming home wearing and what was in her backpack. And then also I was able to track um, what type of emotions she was feeling at school whether it was, you know, and we just separated them. I, and this is probably not the most, um, you know, appropriate categories to separate them in, but negative versus positive emotions, right? Mm -hmm. That was the only way that we could think of separating them. Sure. Um, and so, because sometimes it's the big emotions, but her big emotion, one of her big emotions might be happy. And, or excited. And that's a big emotion for her because it causes her to become dysregulated. And so, um, but for their purposes, I wanted them to see like negative versus positive emotions. And so 50% of those sheets had negative emotions on. Wow. And to me, that was significant that yeah. she was having this impact still at school. And she's yep. an internalizer. She, unless these emotions build, she will not have an outburst at school. Gotcha. And um, the kids who are externalizers, a lot of times they they receive services quickly because it's apparent. Right. Exactly. Um, and the squeaky able, wheel gets the grease. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And so they were able to see it right away, and with those kids. And it takes a really um, keen eye, I guess would be the best way to describe it, to see what's going on with Emily. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when we're talking about educational performance and how, um, and that's not really defined by the law. And it just says educational performance. There needs to be impact in educational performance. Well, educational performance can be um, broken down into two categories, academic performance and functional performance. Academically, Emily is a strong kid. She's smart and she, um, she'll complete her work super fast to get on to the next thing because she can have a break then. Um, but without those breaks, she would be a mess. Right. And um, so they were saying, oh, well, she's performing really well. And yes academically, you're right. She is. She's a bright kid. She's got it. It's in there. Right. Um, but she couldn't perform that without those accommodations. Right. And so we need to be able to give her that skill set. And it took six hours of negotiating <laughs> <laughs> to get there and getting lots of people involved. And even though I am a master IEP coach, I brought her therapist to the meeting the second time. Absolutely. Or outside therapists, because I wanted them to realize that these are the issues that are going on and Emily's talking about them with her and mm -hmm. Emily's talking with them about us. You know, it's not just us because sometimes they, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say that they go in thinking this, but sometimes there's doubt. 
and, right. and, and what the parents are saying that, you know, some parents might go in just wanting services because they think that that's what their child needs. And so they might um, overemphasize <laughs> certain right. types of things that their child is saying um, for that. And we're not those people, but, you know, the districts need to protect themselves. And sure. so they, you know, they just have that philosophy. <laughs> so you well, some support. And what you said that is so important and so key is you collected a lot of data mm-hmm. and data takes the emotions out. Right. Because it's black and white. We did this and this was the result. She did this this many times out of this many times. You know, we saw this this many times out of this many times. And it takes the, well, I think this is what they need or I think they're doing okay. Or, well, she she is functioning, you know, or she's academically okay. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, like you said, you know, we're our jobs in the special education world, and I'm a former special education teacher, is to, when we write these IEPs, is to prepare them for further, further. So not, we, that's the word that often I think is overlooked. Mm-hmm. And it's not just further education, it's and for employment and for independent living. Mm-hmm. None of those three terms are defined beyond. And so there's a whole multitude of what all of those could look like. Right. And we so often only think it's for while they're in school mm-hmm. and it's not. Mm-hmm. We, we are always, and we do this with our general education students. That is what the whole education system is built for. Right. Is you are preparing these students to go out into the world. Well, we're doing that. We have to do that with our students with IEPs but more specifically, but for some reason that more specifically and still doing that same concept is often lost between I, gen ed and special ed. I think that that's because um, there's a push down effect from the, you know, federally, mm-hmm. what is required by the time a student exits. Yep. Um, and those are based on Common Core standards. The Common Core are only in the content areas. And in Illinois, we are very fortunate that we have social emotional standards as well. And that is how we got her qualified. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm, and you know, it's not often that I hear, I'm so glad we're in Illinois. <laughs> I, I <laughs> know. We're so fortunate in I Illinois. Know. And so to, to, to have that, and, and, you know, even though I'm a Cardinals fan, which they're in Missouri, I'm, I'm still an Illinois resident. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And so to, to know that, you know, we did something a little bit right um, compared to, you know, some of the other States is, is really encouraging. Um, but yeah, for those who live in a state where maybe your state doesn't have those social emotional standards um, that still doesn't exempt your district from having to provide that service Correct. if that's what's appropriate for your child. Correct. So she wasn't accessing those standards. And um, that's that's where, where we finally were able to say, hey, look, this is what's going on. 
it's not about collecting the data, which they thought it was, you know, because we do need data to show, but it was really about teaching her the skill set necessary to decrease some of these accommodations. You know, by the time she gets to high school, you're not going to want her leaving the classroom, you know, right. um, that many times. She doesn't right. have the opportunity. Lessons are short. You're only there for a certain amount of time in each, you know, um, each class. And you also have this stigmatism from her peers. You know, she, she has accidents. She's not able to control her emotions. She has wears AFOs, which um, I can never remember what it stands for, but the, it's the orthotic that goes all the way up your calf. Yeah. Um, and she has those because she also has genophilite. She has hypermobility spectrum disorder. Oh, and goodness. And her, her, her joints go all the way back. Oh, um, gotcha. And so it wasn't... So she could learn how to walk. It was because she needed to learn how to stand appropriately so that she didn't hurt, continue to place pressure on her joints. Right. And um, one of the things that we actually got the school to do through this IEP um, is for three years now, she has, she's been an outside OT since she was three. Um, but for three years now, she's had OT consult through her 504. Mm -hmm. And I kept saying, could you please look at her pencil grip? Right? She's she was complaining about handwriting, because she doesn't possess the ability to feel how hard she is pressing until okay. she's done. And then her hand hurts, and it's right. tired, and she can't, it fatigues. Right. And so, um, they actually left left that out of her evaluation and we had to ask them to do it so they did it the day before oh. the day of. <laughs> um and and it was a miscommunication because they had to add it into the domain after the domain was already completed and and i'm uh, going to pause you there because not every state calls it a domain Mm -hmm. um, but it's that, so just to describe that, it's when they're determining what information is needed when you're doing an evaluation. In Illinois, we call those domains. I'm not exactly sure what they're called everywhere, but it's just basically you do, you, ha you have a meeting or you, you talk about, you know, okay, this is what we know. This is what we want to know. Where are we going to get that information? Mm -hmm. And so when we had that meeting, we didn't even have a domains meeting, actually. <laughs> Um, we had a, uh, a meeting to discuss them, um, not following a portion of our 504. And it was at that meeting when we discussed doctor, the, the neuropsychologist's recommendations, um, for an IEP that they at the very end determined that they were going to do this. And then there was no time left for the domain meeting. And so they sent us the domain. And then I sent it back and said, listen, could you please include this because of right. X, Y, and Z? And so they said yes. And so then I don't think the occupational therapist had the second domain, Got the it. second set of domains. Right. Um, or the most up-to-date one. And so... Um, so anyhow, it all got resolved, but now she's getting services so that she learns because they're like, oh, we gave her an accommodation. She, again, we gave her the accommodation. She has um, 
an egg, uh, what's that thing called? An egg, oh, uh, yeah. grip, an egg right. gripper. And now we put foam underneath her paper so she can feel, which is, these are phenomenal accommodations. I mean, right. they were really good. And so, um, but the thing is, nobody was there to teach her how to use them. <laughs> it, yeah. And that is, that is another extremely key point. And, and I've brought this up um, a lot recently, especially like the first time I go into a school district with a family. And, and I'll be honest, as a special education teacher, I didn't really think about this either is, you know, having those things clearly defined and the reason why you're doing them. And then it's our desire to not have a child have to rely on things if we can teach them, you know, if we can find ways to teach what you're talking about, teach that skill set that was missing. And so, you know, writing it in there that, you know, it's going to, going to be X number of times. And then who's going to teach that skill? Because we often will put in things like, uh, especially for kids who have organizational issues, you know, we'll put in accommodation of, well, they're going to have a binder and it's going to have different colors for the different subjects. That's all well and good. But if you just hand that to the child that has the organist in it, and that's an executive function skill that has mm -hmm. that organizational deficit, that's not going to help. Somebody right. has to teach that. Right. So who's going to teach that? So that's a question that needs to be discussed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it might need to be an objective or maybe a goal so that later it can just be an accommodation. And then hopefully eventually it's a, something that is taken out of the IEP because the student has learned it and is continuing to use it or has adapted it to, you know, however they need it for themselves. Right. And so, and I, and I do, I really do believe that that's the, the goal. You know, there are some things that children are not going to be able to um, not have the accommodation for. They're mm -hmm. going to need those. Um, but there right. are other things that you can't assume that they're not going to be able to do. They have right. to be taught it first. Yes. And so, you know, um, there's this quote similar to your, you know, your butterfly analysis and it's teach me to soar and I will. Mm -hmm. And you really have to teach them to do that. Um, yeah. You can't just assume that by you giving them something, they're going to be able to do this in the future on right. their own. Right. Um, and they're going to make that transfer. You have to make it intentional. Yes. And, um, and so, and that's, you know, that's even for my older daughter who's 12 and she didn't get diagnosed until this year. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think all the experience that you had diagnosing, getting eligibility for your younger daughter mm -hmm. probably went, Oh, and opened some eyes to maybe the school staff and yourself and your husband as to, Oh well, yeah. You know, we need to probably be doing some things for, Sophia, right? She's the older one, it's or she? Sophie, yeah. Sophie. Um, she, we did hers backwards, though. So she had the 504 first, just like Emily, and she's had that since she was in fourth grade. Um, and finally, by fourth grade, which is amazing, advocacy in children. Um, this is like a whole nother topic. <laughs> um, which we self advocacy. Yep. Today is self advocacy. 
Um, but teaching them those skill sets is so important. And Emily is wonderful. She's able to say, this is my 504 and it says I need this and you need to give it to me. <laughs> it's right. not always the most appropriate way. Right. Um, but again, somebody has to teach her to be appropriate with yeah. it. So um, yeah, she, she's getting the idea that she has to right. pick up for herself. And so, um, so with Sophie by fourth grade, you know, she wasn't comprehending and her fluency was bad, but she was able to read whatever you gave her. Mm -hmm. Um, but she would, you know, um, she would take the beginning of the, I forgot what the word is, but she was taking the beginning of the word and inter interchanging it. There we go with the middle of the word when, oh. and we spent all summer from second grade to third grade doing this intervention binder, um, on this skill and she just couldn't get it. And so I was like, what is going on? And mm -hmm. I was dyslexic and I was concerned for her. Um, and so by the time, so in fourth grade, she quick, she said, I feel like I'm not hearing the information the same way at processing. It takes me longer to process money. And, wow. um, and I, I, I'm just not fluent when I'm reading and sometimes I can't figure out the words, but once she's figured out a word, she's got it. It's like in there, you know, wow. and she'll be able to repeat that word for however many times she needs to. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she said, I just feel like it's taking me longer to do all these things because I can't process at the same speed. I can't do things as, at the same speed as my friends. And then they get aggravated with me when I'm, you know, when we're doing, um, reading together and it takes me longer. And, um, so the teacher said, well, we don't see it. And I said, well, does she complain about stomach aches here at school? Yes. Is she a frequent flyer in the nurse's office because of headaches and stomach aches? Yeah. So you're telling me she's having anxiety over having to do these things here at school? Yes. And Sophie also said that um, she, so that year was the first time that they didn't have strong visuals. It was fourth grade. They were getting them ready for uh, fifth grade, which is a different building, and they have more responsibilities there, mm -hmm. um, independent responsibilities. And so they were getting ready for that transition. And so instead of the teacher, them having everybody having the workbook out, they were doing it up on the smart board. And it was too far away for her to listen to what the teacher was saying, look at the board, write down the answer, you know, hold it in her working memory, which we found out she has issues with, mm -hmm. hold it in that working memory. Um, she just couldn't do it. And I was like, how are you getting the right answers? And she's like, oh, I just looked at my friend's board. <laughs> and wrote, wrote it down real fast. And I was like, okay, well, I suppose that's one accommodation you can right? Yeah. Right. She's learning um, how to adjust. Yeah. Be yeah. flexible with things. Yes. And so, um, so anyhow, we got the, she had a speech eval that year. Um, and it turned out that even though she was able to um, recall the information, it took her an extended amount of time. And it was only with cueing of the speech and language pathologist to say, okay, make a visual in your head because she couldn't repeat the directions. Right. And once, uh, once Sophie had that visual, she was able to do it. But then when she got into middle school and all those things were taken away because mm -hmm. that's just, or that's just not what they do there. Um, she was having a really hard time. 
And so um, again, in the middle of the pandemic, I asked them, I said, could you please, let's have a meeting to discuss the need to um, see if she qualifies for special education services and what we would need to test her in. Um, and so they did an enormous amount of testing and they had her come in for it, which was phenomenal. They had like this glass, glass ceiling before <laughs> Uh, plexiglass in front of her and the evaluator and they made it work which I thought was great that's awesome that they yeah. were able to provide that service it wasn't over zoom right and it was in person and um in that report a lot of things came up with her generalized anxiety disorder and how she wasn't able to perform when there were time tests um and also uh that she wasn't able to attend and so I was like, okay, well now we need to go to the neuropsychologist because right. they, in our district, they don't do educational diagnoses of ADHD. So they only do, they only accept medical ones from outside. Um, oh. yeah. And so even though they said that this is something she, she might have, we had to go and get it diagnosed. And so, <laughs> um, so I did that. And when I was doing that, um, and this is kind of how I'll wrap up when I was doing that. And I, I started taking the master IEP coach program. Um, the, the neuropsychologist said to me at her results meeting, he's like, Oh my gosh, you must be a bulldog. How did you get all the, how did you get the district <laughs> to do all of these assessments and evaluations on her? This is unheard of. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I put it in writing and I told them why we needed it and what supported it. And then they did it. And he's like, wow, he's like, not a lot of people would be able to do that. You should really, right. you should really look into doing this. And I said, well, I'm actually already looking into doing <laughs> this. Um, I said, I think I found my calling. And he's like, yeah, I would say so too. And so um, that's how... I got interested and um, became a master IEP coach and then just recently opened up my own uh, consultation practice. So awesome. So yeah, we, we just have under like two, under two minutes. So mm -hmm. I want to make sure two things. Um, I want you to, I know you said you wanted me to make sure that, that it was very clear to the audience that the, the no limits thing, the, the not setting limits, I'll, I'll let you think how you want to word that exactly. And then how can people find you? Okay. Um, so I think it's important um, with either, uh, you know, a child or yourself to realize um, we do all have things that we can and can't do, but that there is always a possibility of yet. And sometimes getting to yet to, you know, being able to do it later takes a while and it's a process, but there's always that possibility. And so really just never give up on your dreams and what you believe in and what you believe in for your children and keep pushing because you are their biggest voice. You are their biggest advocate um, and you know what they need and you will find a way. 
Awesome. That's beautiful. Yeah. So how can people find you if they have a child that sounds very similar to one of your daughters and they can. Sure. Um, sorry about that. I thought That's I turned okay. it off. Um, so I am available on a couple different platforms. Um, I'm available uh, through Facebook. You can find me um, through Marcia Swartz. I have two pages. One's my personal page um, and the other one is my business page. And then um, the second way is you can also find me through Instagram. I will come up as Marcia Swartz. And then, um, oh, maybe there's four ways. The uh, um, <laughs> third way is through MarciaSwartz.com. Uh, and that's M-A-R-S-H-A-S-W-A-R-T-Z.com. Um, A lot of people call, uh, spell Schwartz the wrong way or Marsha right. for that matter. Yeah. Um, and then the last way is you can just email me. And you can email me at IEPHelp at marciasports.com. Perfect. All right. So if they need help, there's lots of ways to find you. Um, and on your website, like on my website, I do you have a free item that they can get when they come to your website? So for yeah. me, it's a free IEP checklist. Um, what is it on yours? Absolutely. So on um, mine, it is a free IEP checklist as well. It's called um, 10 Tips for a Successful IEP. Perfect. All right. Well, Marsha, thank you so much. And as I said at the beginning, you have an amazing story and I'm so glad that you were able to tell it today. And um, again, I thank you so much. And I look forward to actually meeting you in July at the Master IEP Coach Conference. Um, Marsha and I have never met, but we have both gone through the mentorship program. And so um, I'm excited to meet her in person and talk more about her story. So Go Cards. See you later. Go Cards. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Kelly. You're very welcome. Thank you.